With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crispy Sports Corner. I'm your host, Chris Platty, here to break down the conference finals of NBA basketball. And alongside me is Chris Phillips returning again. Chris, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? All right, so we're going to get into a little bit of Toronto and Cleveland and Golden State and Oklahoma, and then we'll hit on some quick things that happened recently in the NBA, some other other non-playoff-related storylines. So, Chris, we'll start here with Toronto-Miami last night. Toronto killed Miami on the offensive glass with 20 offensive rebounds, 6 from Biombo and 7 from Patterson in a game where they just kind of annihilated the Heat, who were, who had, who were forced to go small because of uh, because of injuries to Whiteside, forcing Dang to play the five, and uh, which was a, exactly it was it was really bad. Uh, just some quick hits about it: the Biombo pick and roll killed Miami, and uh, Winslow kind of played his ass off. He was really only the shiny moment in that uh, in that series. And Chris, I actually thought I want to ask you this real quick before we get into Toronto, Cleveland. I thought that the Heat would have won that series had both teams fully been healthy because I think Whiteside was that much of an impact to them. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, doing the last podcast we did together, I think, I don't know if you did, but I definitely picked Miami to uh, end the series and end up playing I Cleveland. I did too, I believe. Um, and that was obviously us expecting both teams to be fully healthy, which that was not the case towards the end. Um, but I do think if Whiteside, he's a huge factor um, with the rim, either blocking shots or getting those rebounds, so I think if he were to, if he were to remain healthy, they probably could have edged edged out that series. No, I agree because if I mean you have to play Luol Deng, who's a small forward at best. Yeah, they had like to play six, him. Seven, like, yeah. yeah, they had to play him at center, and they had Josh McRoberts, who's yeah, like I, six I nine that at center. Is playing a lot. So it was it was really bad. And the thing that worked out in Toronto's favor is they had a they had an actual backup center like Biombo, where the Heat really didn't because Amari's kind of been shot throughout the playoffs and his body just looks shot at this point. So Miami really had no other option to roll with that center. So it was very hard to watch for Miami if you're a Miami Heat fan. But anyways, moving on to Toronto and Cleveland. Now Toronto's in the conference finals, obviously, after winning the Game 7 in Toronto. Uh, Chris... I, one of my things is, first I want to get into the matchup of the bigs, and to me it's very important. We don't know the status yet of, of Jonas Valanciunas, but I he has to be healthy for this series, right? Like You can't roll with Biombo for 40 minutes. This... Biombo's not bad, but to at least contend and try and win a game or two, you got to have Valanciunas for sure. Yeah, and look, no, uh, no disrespect to Biombo, he did play well, like you said, but I mean, we just we just alluded to he was going against Luol Deng at center for long stretches at a time. So, unfortunate. Uh, so unfortunately, Biombo didn't really have the series that you expected. I mean, the numbers look good and everything, but he really isn't. Uh, he really isn't as good as and then as impactful as he was in that series against against Miami. So to me, Cleveland. 
Toronto's not going to control the glass against Cleveland because Cleveland has much more size and rebounding ability with Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. Just Tristan Thompson alone, I think, will be able to keep Biombo off the glass. And Love is a very good defensive rebounder. He'll hold Patterson. And I really think that a key point in that Miami-Toronto series was Toronto really won because of the offensive rebounding. So I think that was big. Do you, th- do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, as, like you said, the I think Thompson is just enough. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. Mm-hmm. So I think he'll be enough to control Biombo and even Patterson. And Love, He we know he's capable of putting up 15 boards a game. So I don't think that Toronto's like you said, Toronto did win because of the glass, and I don't know if it will transition well into the next series. Yeah, so I, I think it's very imperative that Valanciunas comes back and becomes effective. But I, one thing I want to look at Cleveland's offensive approach, how often do you think that they stretch out with Love or Fry at the five? you think they're going to go with that a lot, or do you think they're going to roll with Thompson to keep Biombo off the glass? I just feel, well, they have a lot of options scoring-wise. Um, mm. I guess it's it's pretty much how they want to do the glass rather than the actual scoring because they have guys that can do that regardless. Um, but, I don't know, I'd rather see probably Thompson and Lovin together. I don't want to see Fry out there as much. I don't think – I mean, he's not that great of a rebounder, but he mm. does stretch the floor. So, I don't know. It's more it's more rebounding than scoring is going to be important for them because I think – like I said, they have plenty of guys that can hit from everywhere in the court. So Right. And I do think that this whole like love at the five has been a huge uh, secret weapon for the Cavs that they've unleashed in the playoffs. So I wouldn't mind Cleveland using it a little bit more just to kind of... Because I'm sure Kevin Love is still adjusting to playing the five. So I, I'd like to see them kind of give that more rep. And I do think that if you take Biombo out of the paint, which I don't think he's, a, he's an amazing shot blocker, but he's a pretty good one. Yeah. So... I think stretching out would actually be the better option, even though, like you said, they really don't need to because Kyrie, LeBron, well, JR can provide that yeah. offense, right? I know this sounds bad, but, like, this can still be kind of like an experimental round for them. It, it can. Like, they're obviously 99% the favorites. Um, I think Toronto might be able to get a game from them, but they can still try new things and see how they work in preparation for the final. So I think, you know, if you think something could work, uh, then they should definitely go for it. Right, right, I agree. And uh, before we get into the final, which you kind of gave your ideas and thoughts already on the series, uh, before we do that, I wanted to break down, now that we did the bigs, I wanted to do the wings in the backcourt of this series. And for the Cavs' defense, I think it's interesting. Who does Eman Shumpert slash J.R. Smith, whoever plays with uh, Irving and LeBron, who do they guard? Is it Lowry or DeMar? Because I, I, I believe that, I believe that's large. I believe the plan is going to be hide Kyle, hide Kyrie, right? Like on defense, you don't want him on on DeRozan or on Lowry, right? Yeah, but then who's going to guard Carroll? I gotta, yeah, I mean, but I think LeBron will guard DeRozan. You think LeBron? I, that's yeah, I think that's the safest one. And then Kyrie, I think you put him on Carroll, I guess, and say like Carroll beat us versus uh, versus Lowry. I don't know. I mean, he could definitely go out there and chase around with Lowry, but it's like why use all of his energy and yeah. you know possibly a risk of injury or something to do that I guess I don't know exactly uh and the thing I want to bring up is that Kyle Lowry if you watch if you watch these last couple games for Toronto he's been the one that's kind of caught fire DeRozan's still been very hit or miss very Lowry, inconsistent even Lowry was off though early like I don't so, know he hasn't been that great he's been I feel like he's been clutch 
But I feel like he hasn't been that good. Like, he has missed a he's, lot of shots. Yeah, not throughout the game, but in clutch moments. Yeah. I agree. But I think he's starting to get his rhythm back. I think you can kind of see it. So I would, versus DeMar DeRozan, who I was looking at the box scores today, and every game was double-digit plus or minus. If one game, uh, I believe game five in the Miami series, DeMar DeRozan was minus 11. Game six, he was, or game five, he was plus 14. And then game six, he was minus 11. And it was like that the the entire series. He's been very wildly inconsistent. So I I think that you're safer with I think you put your best defender Eman, who's probably their best defender outside of LeBron, and you don't want to expend too much on LeBron. Right, yeah. So I put I put uh, Irving or I'm sorry Eman or J.R. Smith on Lowry, try and stop Lowry versus trying to stop DeRozan, or right. Yeah, definitely. Just if DeRozan, see what he can do, and if he starts hitting, okay, then you adjust from there. Mm-hmm. And then I think one thing also, I put this down in my notes, is maybe maybe even they do a little bit radical when, when LeBron's in at the four. Maybe they put Kyrie all the way on Patrick Patterson, who's not much of an offensive guy. No. Yeah, I mean... And then you just can't let him get down low, but, yeah, if, but if you can prevent him from staying in the middle of the four, then, you know... But even, even that, like, if you... Are you really gonna, if you're Toronto, give Patterson the ball every single time and shoot, let him shoot exactly. thirty post ups? You're not gonna do that. So, I think, I think that you can hide Kyrie. I think Kyrie is gonna be interesting to see who he guards. Uh, for for Toronto, it's pretty easy. Uh, DeRozan's gonna be on DeRozan's gonna be on uh, J.R. Smith, I assume, or Kyrie. Lowry's probably gonna be on Kyrie or or Smith. Uh, it doesn't really. Laurie and DeRozan, I think, are interchangeable on who they guard. I don't really think it matters because I don't think either one of them is significantly better than the other defensively. And Carroll's obviously going to be on LeBron, yeah, right? Definitely. So I don't. So I think it's very predictable for uh, for Toronto. But I think with LeBron, with LeBron and the Cavs, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be actually interesting to see what kind of cross matchups they do. And well, Chris, you already gave us yours on your thoughts on who will win the series and you said Cavs in five right I would say probably Cavs in five just because I think I think going through the whole Eastern I'm not saying the East is some amazing thing but going through a whole playoff thing to the finals undefeated I mean that's pretty darn good so I I could imagine them losing one just dropping one just off. dropping one I plus mean, they've been off a few but, weeks yeah yeah so. they've been off so um and I, I think it'd be I want to say it would be good for them to lose because you want to always see how you respond after a loss. Mm-hmm. And I'd say just better just do it now than and once you get to the finals and have to go against either Golden State or OKC. So I think even losing the game doesn't hurt them at all. I mean, add extra yeah, extra minutes on their legs, but yeah. they've had so much time off between the other two rounds. That they'll be so, fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. And and there's that whole feel like I almost think the best thing for Cleveland would be to drop game one. Because then you know what it's like to be down in a series. Because let's say, okay, they make it all the way to the finals and they play Golden State or Oklahoma, who are far and away planets better than anything they've played yet in the Eastern Conference. And all of a sudden, if you go down 0-1 against one of those teams and that's your first loss of the playoffs, that can be that can be kind of trouble, right? Yeah, it's like a little confidence because you're coming in undefeated and, mm-hmm. and then you're on top of the world, but then... This one gets taken from you, and you haven't lost yet, and they, you know, it, it could definitely. And we we've seen this before throughout the regular season, which I know playoffs is different. I mean, we've seen this Cavs team board, right? Definitely have, definitely have. So, with that being said, I do, I really want to 
I really want to pick Cavs in four. And I actually told a friend yesterday who I was talking to, a family friend, he was asking me, use it one of those playoff bracket things, and you have to pick uh, Cavs and how many. And I told him to pick four. But, you know, you kind of convinced me that maybe they drop a game. I don't know. You know what? No, I'm going to stick with the <laughs> ship. I'm going to stick with the ship right now. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Cavs win in four, and they are 12-0 and 0 heading to the finals. And so that will obviously complete the Eastern Conference. Let's switch to the West now. And we got OKC, who pulled off a great series against the Thunder. Uh, I almost said against the Thunder. Against the Spurs, and where they won four, of five in a row, four out of five to advance, which was very impressive against a historic Spurs team that was the third best defense of all time, statistically speaking. So... Chris, it's going to be interesting. You've seen that throughout the series, and there's a lot of talk about this, is the whole uh, Ernest Cantor and Steven Adams lineup, their quote-unquote big lineup with the two seven-footers, and how successful it was against the Spurs. And the Spurs are a team, I think it fits the Spurs better because the Spurs like to go big with Duncan and Aldridge or Boban or, you know, whatever. So, Chris... Do they? Do you think the Thunder go big with Cantor and Adams, or do you think they try and match up with Golden State and go small? I think just to start off the series, they should start how they finish with the mm-hmm. big lineup. Just it was it was working then. Why not give it a shot now? And maybe after a game or two, I would say two, maybe you adjust if it's not working. But with that lineup, if, if Cantor is hitting like like when he like he actually can, you know that's a dangerous team and a dangerous lineup. So I think they should just start off with that. No, I agree. I think that I think that you go. I think that Golden State trying to be Golden State at their own game is is a huge mistake, and so I think that you kind of go with your identity. And right now, their identity is this Cantor and Adams and big lineup. And those two, let's face it, Cantor is arguably the best offensive rebounder in the game. He's he's on the level of Tristan Thompson. His numbers are amazing in terms of offensive rebounds. And Stephen Adams is a great defender to cover for. Cantor's flaws so I don't know it's it's interesting because if Cantor's at the center or if Cantor's at the power forward and Adams is at the center then that means Cantor's most likely matched up with Draymond which could be a very ugly matchup defensively so I don't I don't know it's well you said that maybe just Steven Adams kind of bails him out yeah if he gets by him I don't know yeah, or or what if they go or if they go completely small and they put Draymond at the five do the Thunder stay big, or do they adjust to that? Because, because I mean, at some point you might have to like accompany to what they're doing. So. Yeah. It, but I, I personally, if I'm OKC, I'm gonna die going out my way. So I would, I would definitely start the series with Cantor and Adams, and unless it's, uh, unless it's a complete and utter disaster, then I would, I would roll with it because, look, at the end of the day, you're not gonna beat, you're not gonna beat the. Uh, you're not going to be the Warriors playing their style. And if you're playing Durant at the four and you're going small and throwing in like Waiters and Robertson, you're just giving Curry. I heard this point on Zach Lowe. You're just giving Curry more options to hide defensively. And you're giving, uh, you're playing more into their favor. Cause how much better are you offensively when you go well, small with Durant? Point, if, you, if you're going small, at least with the bigs, you can try and get the ball inside. But if you mm-hmm. go small, then you have waiters and everyone else just 
pretty much shooting, jacking up, yeah, yeah, jacking up, and you're hoping for the best. So, and and then with the small lineup too, you're also playing Robertson, who let's face it, Robertson can't do anything but defend. He hits an occasional corner three, but that's it. So it's gonna be very, it's gonna be very interesting to see what they do there. And the one last question before we get into picks is that I want to make is. How many games do Durant and Westbrook get you? Because this whole idea that West that Westbrook can get you one, Durant can get you one, so that's at least two. I don't believe that because I believe it's going to take both of them to get one game right against a seventy three and nine team. Well, yeah, you would hope that they can get you a game, and then a play or a big game by Cantor or somebody else will yeah. include to a second game. Because that's, I mean. Durant and Westbrook on any given night can usually get you each a game. One good, one really good game by them should, can get you a win, but obviously the Warriors are a 73 win team, so that's no guarantee there. Right, and I think the whole philosophy is that Durant and Westbrook are good enough, and out of a seven game series, you like to think that there's at least two games where they both play really well, and so then there's those two games that you can maybe win and you probably if there's if there's two or three of those games you probably win one right yeah and then because you don't you don't always capitalize on on a good game from Westbrook and Durant especially against like you said a 73 win team and then your hope is that your hope is that you you do somehow pull out those two Durant Westbrook games and then one game you just have an amazing you have decent games from Westbrook and Durant and then the role players play amazing like they did in the Spurs series, and that gets you a game. And then in Game 7, anything's up for grabs, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that line of thinking, is that logic too far out of the out of reach and too, um, too crazy, or is that realistic to think that the Thunder can push the Warriors to 7? Well, I don't think the Warriors... I mean, the Thunder should definitely not go in thinking that way. Like You can't just count on two guys, but from a fan and a standpoint from a standpoint of watching i think it's a little i I just don't it's it's reasonable to think that like if they do dominate for a couple games and then they get a couple then they get help for a game they can force seven but we haven't even seen the warriors anywhere close to this kind of you know they haven't been pushed at all so i don't know i don't know if it's exactly and my whole thing is that is that like I said? I mean, realistically, are you always going to capitalize on those good games against the Warriors? You know what I mean? Right. Well, they they had the the one game when Curry hit that buzzer beater from yeah. God knows where. <laughs> I think they. I know that they both. I think they both fouled out in the overtime. At least Durant did. I think, and I think they both had really good games. But like, like you said, like you can't just because you have two really good or two guys have really good games doesn't mean you're going to win the game at all so yeah especially against this team yeah. and I like your point of that the Warriors haven't really been pushed yet because they haven't really yeah. I mean I think they were kind of pushed in that Portland game where Curry went off in his return but um I really don't think even that I don't think was a full I don't think that's the push that they're going to get from OKC so it, it's interesting to it's interesting to think about but I'd like to say that I'd like to say that the Warriors win in five because I really think, like I said, I really think you just get one of those games against the Warriors, right? Like you get, I think Durant Westbrook gets you one game. I think I think it's almost a conclu- a foregone conclusion that Durant and Westbrook get you one game. I'd be shocked if they didn't win a game. Yeah, 
And then outside of that, like, the rest is mystery. Like, do you really think that the role players are going to play that well to overcome the Warriors? I don't. I just don't think they're – I don't think the role players will have enough throughout the whole series to extend mm. it, to keep going. I do think – you said five. I think it will be six. Um, I think the Warriors – or the Thunder will get two on the Warriors. Um which I, it's like I don't know. I've... But see, even with that thinking though, okay, let's say let's say the Golden State Warriors get up two zero, like they take care of business at home. Do you think where where does OKC get the second win? Because I don't think they win two in a row, right? I think they can. I think they could. I really? think well, you got to think that you can't just. I know that the Warriors are ridiculous at home. Yeah. But you can't just go into the game saying, okay, well the Warriors are going to win. Okay, this so game. you're thinking they split one Maybe and they one. They split one the first two, two, and then they split again. And then they and split then they again. Just, and yeah, then... and it's two two, and they just wrap it up at four. Okay. Two. That's yeah. Like, that's how I kind of see it. Okay. Yeah, I can see that, but uh, again, I don't really. It's hard for me to see the Warriors losing at home. Uh, but if anything's going to do it, it's probably OKC or Cleveland. So I think I'm going to stick with my pick, Warriors in five, and you, you're going with Warriors in six, I'll right? That's your official? Six. Yeah. All right. So that will complete the playoffs part of the podcast. And now, Chris, we're going to talk a little bit, just a few minutes, some quick hits on the rest of the NBA. So we'll start with the Pacers officially hired Nate McMillan today. Chris, do you do you think that that's an upgrade over Frank Vogel or what do you, what do you I think? don't know if it's an upgrade. I thought Bolt was actually a pretty good coach. He got him to he got in two conference finals, I think. Um yeah. and last year he, he there was no Paul George and this year the Pacers I don't know, they just don't have what what are they really having going on except Paul George? I mean, Ellis can come in and score the ball. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't a fair deal to him, but maybe like I don't know. The thing is, like I said, I don't think they have that much going forward. Um, they're an okay team. Um, so maybe if you think that it's time for a change, it's time for a change. That's obviously what they did. I don't think he's an upgrade, though. But if you think you know you want to start something fresh, I think mm-hmm. McMillan is a good option. He's been there for a couple years now. He's a former coach, and he's a over a 500 record coach. So I think you know he'd be a good test. Give him you know whatever three, four years, see how he does. Yeah, I mean, and that's a fair point because he did inhabit some pretty bad teams. He inhabited Portland when they were just a complete dumpster fire before they got Brandon Roy and Aldridge and started to turn things around. So he so he has actually, I mean, if you want to really take into context his rosters and stuff, he does have a pretty good coaching record, but he's been out of the game for a little bit. I know he's been involved as the Pacers assistant, and he was actually one of the lead assistants, and he got promoted to the head coaching position. But I don't... I don't know. I just I don't think that he was better than Vogel. I think Vogel really maximized. I mean, if you look at this team, even Chris, even Monte Ellis wasn't that good this year. He wasn't the Monte Ellis he normally was. He definitely wasn't the Dallas Monte Ellis. And I mean, outside of Paul George, I mean, Miles Turner played pretty well. I think he really got. I think Vogel really got the most out of those guys in terms of defense because Chris, they were the number three defense in the league. The problem was they were they were in the twenty eighth or thirtieth range for for offense, but they were actually the number three defense in the NBA statistically speaking this year. So I don't know why you fire a coach after that time. It just seems like it it was one of those moves where Frank where Larry Bird was tired of Frank Vogel, and Frank Vogel was the coach for what five or six years? Yeah, I don't know, one of the two. Yeah. So yeah, around around five to six years and. 
So I think it, and Bird even said in his statement that sometimes a voice gets stale no matter how good it is. Right. So I think that's really, I think it was really a poor choice on Indiana and they just kind of overreacted because as you see nowadays, coaches are getting fired left and right. So I think that's kind of what it was. Um, Frank Vogel will probably find another job within the next year or so. Yeah, definitely. So he's a good coach. Um, I mean, we can definitely agree it's... I, I think we both agree it's not an upgrade, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. so, sometimes you make those but it's not a, things up, so that's essentially what it is. It's not a terrible hire either, no, I don't it's, think. No, it's not, a, I don't think it's a bad hire. Yeah. I just don't think it was a bad fire, if that makes sense. Okay, like, that's just I got I you, I got you. So, so yeah, and then, um, so that's it for the Pacers. Uh, another quick thing that happened is Carl Anthony Towns' unanimous MVP award, or Rookie of the Year award. <laughs> MVP of the rookies, one wow. One day, one day. Yeah, 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 one day unanimous MVP um, Chris, was it a surprise that it was unanimous at all, or no, not really? Uh, not completely. Um, maybe uh, Air Force Zingas might have snuck in a couple of votes with his yeah, popularity. That... He's pretty good at times. But I think Towns is clearly um, the MVP. Uh, of, not, my, of rookies. My, of yeah, rookies. Of okay. rookies. There you God. go. Um, I, I guess yeah, you saying I'm, it now. No, I don't think it's that surprising, though. He I mean, he put up, like, 20 and 10 for God's sakes. I think it's more than deserving. Um <laughs> So I'm not surprised, really. Yeah. So again, he's a fifth unanimous uh, rookie of the year or MVP of the rookies, as we just <laughs> said. Uh, so Chris, I want to bring you this this one stat. It's from Synergy Sports. I tweeted today. It says volume scores in the half court more efficient than Carl Anthony Towns. These are the only guys more efficient than Carl Anthony Towns in half court: Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, um, Thompson, which is Clay Thompson rather, uh, Durant, and Bosh. That's it. The rest of the NBA, Carl Anthony Townsend, so that puts him what? One, two, sixth. three, sixth. Yeah. yeah. So sixth in the NBA in scoring in half court, and he's a rookie. Yeah. My God, this guy is going to be amazing. He's going to be really good. They got a good future there in Minnesota. Oh, my God. Their future is amazing. I mean, that is, if you're going to start a dynasty in 2K, that's, you, the, way to that's, go. that's the way to go. You yeah. got Carl Anthony Townsend, Andrew Wiggins. All right, and then the very last thing is, unfortunately, this is this is more of a sad note. Is Chris Bosh? Speaking of Chris Bosh earlier, um, he there's a report out there that now the doctors are sh- aren't sure if he can ever play again, meaning he might have to retire. And so, very sad news, Chris. Uh, obviously, obviously, we're treading water here because we don't know the report or we don't know anything, uh, any credibility to this, but. I mean, where do where do the heat go from here? Because this is this is a very dangerous situation. Chris Bosh is unfortunately maybe done for his career. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, that's sad. Uh, he's a good player. Uh, seems like a good guy, and I think I mean obviously they think he's worth a lot of, a lot because he got paid a ridiculous amount of money. He's an all star caliber player, and losing him it does open up a lot of money but i mean chris bosh is a really good player so i don't know i mean wade's only getting older and i don't know i just don't i mean i don't know yeah i mean this thing could look real bad for miami in the next couple of seasons with wade being old and granted wade all credit to wade he had an amazing playoff uh run this year but i mean with with wade being at that age where he's starting to break down or he's been breaking down rather and then Chris Bosh maybe not being able to play it. I don't know if we ever see another full season of Chris Bosh because this is the second year in a row, 
and if these reports are already coming out, he probably doesn't. He probably I don't imagine him playing. However many more years he plays, I don't imagine him playing another full season again. No, a, I mean, two year back to back years he missed the second half of the season, and when this this time it came around again the second time, he was it said that he was hopeful to get back, and I just there's no way he was like I just yeah for him or for his doctors or for what Miami just didn't play. I just thought there's no chance. So if we do see Bosch again, it'll you know pretty much be a not a, I want to say limited role minute wise, but a limited role game wise. Yeah, and so we'll conclude with all thoughts and prayers to Chris Bosch and his family. And also, I do want to credit the Heat organization for not rushing the player back because, look, we all know by the reports and by Chris Bosch's statements that he was dying to get back. Yeah. And he was he was even going across the country to find different doctors just to approve him to play, just so that he could he could play. He was really trying to play, and the Heat did the smart and right thing it's not easy to sit one of your best players in a year where, look, they feel like they could have won it if they had Whiteside and they had Bosch with, uh, against the Cavs. They do. I mean, we, w- we don't think they would have won, but they could have, they could have maybe won against, against the Cavs and got to the finals. So props to the Heat organization for doing the right thing. And that will conclude our podcast for today. It's a preview of the conference finals. And Chris, the draft lottery is tomorrow. One last thing: who's winning the draft lottery? Philly. Philly's this is winning. their year. This is their year. Hashtag believe in the process. <laughs> is that the hashtag or we are the process? What is it's it? It's been I, the slowest process I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I'm guessing they're going to draft another center. Yeah, they're going to draft another center, or they're just going to play Ben Simmons at center <laughs> with Joel Embiid. All right, guys, that will do it. As always, you can find uh, all my stuff on my Podbean account, and the Podbean is on my Twitter. And my Twitter is at Crispy1132. That's C-H-R-I-S-P-Y 1132. If you don't have it memorized by now, you probably should. Uh, Chris, where can they reach you? Wow, this is awkward. I actually deleted my Twitter. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Since when? Uh, about four hours ago. Four hours ago. Yeah, it was a it was a fresh change. Oh wow! So I you favorited you favorited the tweet I tagged you in. So that was was I your last favorite? Uh, you might have been second to last. Oh man! All right. Well, R.I.P. to Chris's Twitter. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we'll end. See you guys later. We got more podcasts coming out, music and NBA. So stay tuned for those.